Does my face look bemused? <laughs> As in amused? Thank you for amusing me. I find people sitting quietly for days on end amusing. <laughs> and awe-inspiring. For me, amusement and awe go quite well together. Uh, we have a schedule. Have you, have you seen it lately? I haven't changed it. I mean, I haven't written anything on it. But there's a, on the schedule that I saw earlier, it said uh, a 10-20 Dharma talk. So I offer you, instead of Dharma talk, we could say Dharma feast. And uh, during this Dharma feast, would you like me to play the role of host? And as the host, I would like to set the table for you for this feast. And one of the things I wanted to put on the table is that earlier, like about half an hour ago, I came into the Zendo. I was going to say something. But a lot, of, a lot of you are not in the Zendo, and I didn't want you to miss it. So I didn't say it. But now I will say what I was going to say, but didn't say. And it's also part of setting the table for the Dharma feast. What I was going to say was something like, Buddha activity is living in silence and stillness. And living in silence and stillness is Buddha activity. A little while ago I mentioned something. Did you remember what I said? Hmm? What did I say? Buddha activity And living in silence and stillness is Buddha activity. And then, of course, there's synonyms for Buddha activity. And so if I would say, <clears throat> Zazen is living in stillness and silence, I would imagine that would not be a big surprise to you. <laughs> is that right? Okay. I'm all, yeah, that makes sense. But zazen is an activity. It is a Buddha activity. So I'm suggesting to you that in stillness and silence, there's a lot going on. It's an active, vital silence and stillness. In that stillness, this great work of enlightenment is pivoting around. Not moving, and without moving a particle of dust, liberating beings. And then turn it again, stillness and silence is living in zazen. Okay?
Another thing that I wanted to put on the table is <clears throat> earlier this year I was I was uh, in a conversation with people in Berkeley, California. It's nice if you have a Berkeley Street here in, in Brooklyn. Um, I'm guessing that that Berkeley Street was here before there was a Berkeley, California. <laughs> uh, somebody said to me, and this person who said this to me was somebody who <laughs> and listens to me talk quite a bit. I also listen to her talk. So she's coming on her, you know, enthusiastically coming and listening to me talk for year after year. And then just this recently she said, um, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I said to her, what I'm saying is not realized by a person. Persons do not understand what I'm saying, including me. What understands what I'm saying is our conversation. Me talking and her saying, I don't understand you. And me saying to her, what I'm saying is not understood by a person. Or, for example, you. You don't understand what I'm saying, but our conversation understands it. What we're doing here together. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> What we say here will be little noted nor long remembered, but what they did here, what we do, what we're doing here, understands what I'm saying. What we're doing here understands the <clears throat> imperceptible according with all things. And this conversation, is, and I could amplify by saying the conversation is a wholehearted conversation. It's a conversation um, between Buddhas. Only Buddhas in conversation with Buddhas understand the Dharma, understand Buddha activity. Buddha activity is Buddhas in conversation with Buddhas. And when we have wholehearted conversation, it's between us completely being ourselves and somebody else completely being themselves. When two beings are complete, when a being is completely himself, when a person's completely herself, 
That's not a person. That's a Buddha. And a person being completely herself is nothing in and of itself. It's nothing in and of itself. It's itself being itself. That's not a person. But people can practice in that way. And people are that way. We actually are Buddhas in being completely what we are. And we have training in order to be who we are. And when we, that training is to honor what we are and also be in conversation with others who help us be who we are. And we help them. And then between beings who are practicing this way, there's a conversation, which again, the conversation is necessary in order for the two people to do their job, to be there, to be in their seat and have the conversation, which is the Buddha activity. So then going along with what I'm saying cannot be understood by a person, <coughs> by me, by myself, or you by yourself, but through their conversation. Also, which I said yesterday, is what I'm saying is questionable. And everybody has the ability to question what I say. And questioning what I say, and what I say being questioned, is the conversation that understands what's being said. And in reality, that's what's going on all the time. And in that sense, Buddha activity is happening all the time. And we're trying to take care of what we can perceive in a way that enters that conversation and realizes that conversation. Another thing which I just thought I might mention, I just remembered was Somebody asked me earlier this year in Texas, in a session, kind of like this one, the person said, I can't remember if she said it in private or in public, but anyway, I brought it up in public. I didn't say who said it, but the person said, is pain essential for a Zen session? I don't know, I don't know what I said in response to her. But when I brought it up to the group, I said, I told about this question, and I said, I actually, I don't think pain is essential to Zen Sashins. What's, what's essential to Zen Sashins is compassion for the pain. That's essential. If the pain's not here, it's okay. It's all right. If, if that would happen, if all of our pains were just sort of like, and we'd just be sitting here painless, it's all right. It's okay. It, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> but when the pain comes, what's essential is compassion. Someone also said to me recently, um, I've been seeing my practice for a long time as basically letting go of everything. And I'm getting a feeling now from what you're saying that compassion is essential to letting go.
And I thought, hmm, good. That's right. Letting go is really a fruit of compassion. And also, fat. compassion is a fruit of letting go. By practicing compassion, we can let go of body and mind, be, be liberated, open to Buddha activity. And that, from that, again, comes compassion. And uh, I also thought, or said, Um, for some people, letting go can be, um, could slip into dissociating or bypassing the the pain, the fear, whatever. So letting go, real letting go, is letting go that that doesn't abandon the pain. It's like being there completely with it. And through that complete compassion with it, it's released without being abandoned or exiled or tampered with. Compassion respects pain Right now, the way it is, it lets it be. It doesn't touch it. It doesn't turn away. It's right there. And in that fullness of that presence, the thing drops away, whatever it is, without being gotten rid of. That dropping away without being moved at all is Buddha activity. And one more thing I wanted to say, or I should say another thing I wanted to say, which I said at noon service yesterday, was, but the servers weren't here. The chant we do at noon service, uh, the title of it is uh, Self-Receiving and Employing Samadhi. But I mentioned yesterday that Buddha Samadhi is a reasonable alternative name for that text, or Buddha Activity Samadhi. And again, Samadhi could be understood as a word, a Sanskrit word, referring to a a collected awareness, awareness that's not, um, that doesn't have an outside that includes everything and gathers everything into one point. The definition, the, well, the, the translation of the word samadhi is collectedness. But the definition is one-pointedness. So everything's collected. It's an open, relaxed state of awareness that includes everything so there's no distraction and it's aware of Buddha activity. And then in the text, as you may have noticed, over and over again it says, basically, everything is involved in Buddha activity. 
So it's a meditation on Buddha activity. It's a collected awareness of Buddha activity. And again, in there it says, as it describes all these amazing things going on in Buddha activity, it says in the middle of the text, or towards the second half of the text, it says, all this, however, does not appear within perception. A perception does not contain this marvelous Buddha activity. Because the practice of it and the realization of it are not two different things. If they were two different things, then the practice could look at the enlightenment, or the enlightenment could look at the practice. And we sometimes people think if you were enlightened, you could be able to see enlightenment. But no, they're the same thing, so they can't look at each other. And the realization of that is the practice of that, rather than the realization of that is to look at the realization. And another thing is that, again, I'll say it the easy way, um, the ordinary everyday activities of Buddhas is Buddha activity, right? Doesn't that make sense? Just like the ordinary everyday activity of humans is human activity. That makes sense? So when Buddhas are picking up a cup and drinking tea, that's their ordinary activity, right? And when they eat rice, that's their ordinary activity. And uh, the Buddha activity is nothing in addition to drinking tea and eating rice. And this practice of drinking tea and eating rice has been transmitted for thousands of years. And now we drink tea and eat rice. And Buddha activity is nothing other than us drinking tea and eating rice. So once again, it may be easy for you to understand the teaching that when Buddhas are eating rice, there's not another Buddha activity from the Buddha eating rice. That makes sense, doesn't it? But when we eat rice, we might think that there's some other Buddha activity from us eating rice. Mightn't we? (laughs) But there's no Buddha activity other than the Buddha's eating rice. And so now when we eat rice, there's no Buddha activity other than us eating rice. And now I also told you, sort of, that when Buddhas eat rice, that's Buddha activity, and Buddha activity is their rice eating imperceptibly accords with all things. 
when they eat a cookie, that action, because it's Buddha activity, imperceptibly accords with all things. All other beings that are eating cookies, drinking tea, sitting upright, practicing silence and stillness. So again, I'm saying it again, Buddha activity is none other than our ordinary daily activity. And each of us right now is wonderfully involved in ordinary activity. Some of us have our cheek on our hand and, our, and we're smiling. Some, some others of us look over to see who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Some others of us are smiling. These are ordinary daily activities, right? And I'm not saying your smiling is Buddha activity. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is Buddha activity is nothing other than your smiling. Because Buddha activity isn't just your smiling. It's the way you're smiling is imperceptibly according with all things and fully resonating throughout all time. And everything we do resonates throughout all time. We cannot avoid that. That's the way it is. So the Buddha activity is not other than what we're doing but it's the way what we're doing is the same practice and the same enlightenment as everybody. And this is available for us to wake up to by, being, by honoring our daily activity, which we have a hard time doing. Like some of our daily activity is very painful. Some of our daily activity is, uh, you know, stories are arising in our mind which are horrible, which we can barely, we can barely say thank you to. We can barely welcome, right? We have a hard time, like, really honoring this ordinary daily activity, the ordinary daily horror show. We have TV shows called The Daily Show, right? And The Nightly Show. And The Horror Show. And we have trouble. These shows are not essential, but in the brutal way, it's essential that we deeply respect all these daily activities. Then we can realize that all these daily activities, or how these daily activities, are none other than Buddha activity. And none of that, but have always been so. And there's so many Zen stories about somebody waking up and seeing that what's been going on in daily life has always been Buddha activity. Now I see it. So a poem just came up that was written a while ago less than a thousand years ago, but more than 800 years ago. This leaky, tumble-down grass hut 
leaves openings for the moon. Now I see it all the while it has been reflected in the teardrops falling on my sleeves. It's always been there, but I didn't see it. And so I cried. However, it was right there in my teardrops. Now I see it. Now you tell me. <laughs> but not, not, not only now do I see it, but now I see it was there all along. It's like double vision. It's here now, and it always has been, and it always will be, because it's the way things are. It's the way things are always the same. The way they're always the same is whatever we're doing is none other than Buddha activity. Whatever we're doing is imperceptibly according with everything. It, if what I was doing or what we're doing didn't imperceptibly accord with everything, it wouldn't be happening. But because it does imperceptibly accord with everything, it is happening. And there's no alternative. So let's be compassionate to it. And let's be compassionate to our wincing from being compassionate to it. Let's be compassionate to it, and let's be compassionate to, I don't want to be compassionate to it. And another thing. One day I was in a temple in San Francisco uh, where Suzuki Roshi practiced. It was called Sokoji. Um, so in that temple, uh, I was having a meal together with the Sangha and with the teacher. And it uh, seems to me like we were, um, he had our meals and I was facing the altar and Suzuki Roshi was sitting on the altar eating his lunch, I think it was. And I, so, you know, along with eating, I, it was kind of, there he was, I looked at him. And he, um, he, had, he had his bowl, his main, his big bowl, and um, he was eating rice. You've heard about eating rice, right? He was, he was eating rice, which he was transmitting to us, this rice eating. <laughs> And we were transmitting to him rice eating. We're having this conversation. And he uh, had worked his rice into kind of a ball. Kind of kept, he gathered it and sort of had, it was kind of ball shaped in his bowl. And his bowl was tilting sort of forward towards the viewer, me and the ball kind of rolled to the front part of his bowl. And I thought, hmm, if he tilts that bowl anymore, that ball of rice is going to roll out of the bowl. But he's a Zen master, so probably it won't roll out. 
but uh, <laughs> the barrel did tilt and the ball did roll out of Suzuki Roshi's black ball and it rolled onto his robes. But because there was a ball, it didn't fall all over the place and he could pick the ball up and put it back in his ball. This is like daily activity, right? <laughs> Gravity, physics, you know. Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein. <laughs> and this is Buddha activity, wonderful Buddha activity. His rice eating imperceptibly according with my watching him. Such a lovely thing. The young monk watching the... I wasn't yet a priest, the young Zen student the young layman looking at the old Zen teacher eating rice and being so happy to watch the rice balls. Not knowing that, uh, that, that this was Buddha activity, but also kind of feeling like, I don't know what this is, but this is what I want to do. I'm so happy to be doing this, even though I don't yet know how to call it. I didn't think at that time Zazen was watching him eat rice. I thought Zazen was when I was sitting still on my seat, which it is. But it's not that, it's the way that sitting is imperceptibly according with all things. That's Zazen. And watching the teacher eat rice, or the teacher watching you eat rice, the way we're doing that together, the way everybody supports you to eat your rice, and the way your rice eating supports everybody, that's the activity of Buddha, and that's what understands Dharma, and that's what liberates beings from suffering. Not me, not you, but what we're doing together with the whole universe, that liberates the whole universe. And the gate to that is to The gate to that realization, to that enlightenment, and to that liberation, the gate to it is to totally love everything. And, not, and everything is asking you to do that. And not just as a favor to everything, but as a favor to the whole universe to liberate it. Yeah, so Buddha activity is calling to you Zazen is calling to you. Zazen is calling to me to practice it, to join it, to listen to the cries of the world. And Zazen is listening to our cries. But it's not just listening to us, it's calling to us to join. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.